Hello, and thank you for joining me in this read-along as we continue working our way through the education of Henry Adams. The word education appears hundreds of times in the book of The Education of Henry Adams. The word education appears almost every few paragraphs because almost every few paragraphs Henry Adams reflects on what he's describing on this narrative, on his autobiography, and he asks himself, what did I learn from this? What did I profit from this? And as we'll see as we continue in this read-along, the word education takes on many different valences. It has many different connotations. But one of the most striking and fascinating usages of education within the education of Henry Adams comes up very early on in the book, and it gives a sense of the versatility of what Henry Adams is talking about, the versatility of that word. At this point, Henry Adams is about 12 years old. We've learned a little bit about his childhood, about his parents. We've learned about his relationship with his grandfather, John Quincy Adams. We've learned already about his uh, disdain for schooling and teaching. We know that Henry Adams is a bit smaller than many of his peers, a bit more of a recluse than many of his siblings and his peers. And again, he's elaborating on the texture of his childhood and Boston in which he grew up. And he writes, quote, Every boy from the age of seven fell in love at frequent intervals with some girl, always more or less the same little girl, who had nothing to teach him or he to teach her except rather familiar and provincial manners until they married and bore children to repeat the habit. The idea of attaching oneself to a married woman or of polishing one's manners to suit the standards of women of 30 could hardly have entered the mind of a young Bostonian and would have scandalized his parents. From woman, the boy got the domestic virtues and nothing else. He might not even catch the idea that women had more to give. The Garden of Eden was hardly more primitive. End quote. And so this is uh, Henry Adams wa waxing about the uh, Puritan and modest virtues of his Bostonian upbringing. But then he continues, quote, To balance this virtue... The Puritan city had always hidden a darker side. Blackguard Boston was only too educational and to most boys much more interesting. End quote. So Blackguard Boston, of course, is like this villainous criminal side of Boston with which Henry Adams as a young boy is also becoming acquainted with. Quote, a successful blackguard must enjoy great physical advantages besides a true vocation. And Henry Adams had neither but no boy escaped some contact with vice of a very low form. Blackguardism came constantly under boys' eyes and had the charm of force and freedom and superiority to culture or decency. One might fear it, but no one honestly despised it. Now and then it asserted itself as education more roughly than school ever did. One of the commonest boy games of winter inherited directly from the 18th century was a game of war on Boston Common, end quote. And I'll just interject here and say one of the reasons I love reading um, books of history, autobiographies, biographies from this time period is, of course, to project myself into history and to ask, you know, how has my childhood changed? How has our world changed? In what ways are we similar? In what ways are the tendencies of young boys uh, unchanged? And in what ways is our, is our context and society and the things we do and the way we, which we play, uh, has that changed? And this is such a wonderful insight, a time capsule into what childhood was like for young, young boys growing up in this time period in 1850 in America. So 
Continuing, one of the commonest boy games of winter inherited directly from the 18th century was the game of war on Boston Common. In old days, the two hostile forces were called North Enders and South Enders. In 1850, the North Enders still survived as a legend, but in practice, it was a battle of the Latin school against all comers, and the Latin school for snowball included all the boys of the West End. Whenever, on a half holiday, the weather was soft enough to soften the snow, the common was apt to be the scene of a fight, which began in daylight with the Latin school in force rushing their opponents down to Tremont Street, and which generally ended at dark by the Latin school dwindling in numbers and disappearing. As the Latin school grew weak, the roughs and young blackguards grew strong. As long as snowballs were the only weapon, no one was much hurt, but a stone may be put in a snowball, and in the dark, a stick or a slingshot in the hands of a boy is as effective as a knife. One afternoon, the fight had been long and exhausting. The boy Henry, following, as his habit was, his bigger brother Charles, had taken part in the battle, and had felt his courage much depressed by seeing one of his trustiest leaders, Henry Higginson, Bully Hig, his school name, struck by a stone over the eye and led off the field bleeding in a rather ghastly manner. As night came on, the Latin school was steadily forced back to the Beacon Street Mall where they could retreat no further without disbanding. And by that time, only a small band was left, headed by two heroes, Savage and Martin. A dark mass of figures could be seen below, making ready for the last rush. And rumor said that a swarm of blackguards from the slums, led by a grisly terror called Conky Daniels with a club, and a hideous reputation was going to put an end to the Beacon Street cowards forever. End quote. And just to interject here to marvel at Henry Adams's amazing storytelling abilities, um, his ability to conjure up these scenes and put us in the mind of a 12-year-old who is uh, thrust into this war game in which he feels wholly unequipped. So continuing, quote, Henry wanted to run away with the others, but his brother was too big to run away, so they stood still and waited immolation. The dark mass set up a shout and rushed forward. The Beacon Street boys turned and fled up the steps, except Savage and Marvin, and the few champions who would not run. The terrible Conky Daniel swaggered up, stopped a moment with his bodyguard to swear a few oaths at Marvin, and then swept on and chased the flyers, leaving the few boys untouched who stood their ground. The obvious moral taught was that blackguards were not so black as they were painted, but the boy Henry had passed through as much terror as though he were Turenne or Henry IV, and ten or twelve years afterwards, when these same boys were fighting and falling on all the battlefields of Virginia and Maryland, he wondered whether their education on Boston Common had taught Savage and Martin how to die.